0: Don't think that famous academic wouldn't be happy to hear from a student.
1: We have to have formal training to be able to do what they call like an elevator pitch, meaning that you have to have your 30-second version because sometimes all you get is elevator ride up with this person and you got to be able to get what, you know, tell them what you feel like they need to know in order to make a decision in 30 seconds or less. There are human beings who are taking risks and they need to make clear choices about those risks, um, and that it's our job to make sure that they're informed.
2: You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and know-how to supplement your
0: doctoral studies. Hi, I'm Shanice Jacobs. And I'm Jenna Rindy. And this is the sixth episode of Vitamin PhD and the season for teaching. We're going to be talking about teaching beyond academia with Dr. Lanisha Adams and Dr. Rhonda Kasten. So I would love for us to jump right in. Um, I'm gonna ask Dr. Adams if you'd introduce yourself first and just tell us about your background and how you got to your current position.
3: Absolutely. Hi, everyone. I am so honored to be here. And my journey really starts with Um, my love for language. I grew up in Southern California in LA and I had neighbors who spoke Spanish, Armenian, Farsi, Samoan. My dad is from Western Samoa. Um, And so I was just always surrounded by this, uh, these languages and kind of fell in love with the difference that comes with those different languages, which includes culture and the food and the people and the differences. Right. So I just really, um, love that gateway. And that introduced me to my, my passion, which was connecting with folks, which is connecting with folks. And, um, from there, really, I studied language in college, uh, studied linguistics and, uh, and then went on to pursue applied linguistics where I further specialized, became a teacher of, of English to speakers of other languages, uh, traveled uh, quite a bit doing that domestic, the abroad and then uh, taught at the high school secondary level uh, domestically in three different states. And really once I got my PhD, I switched my focus to be more on policy so thinking about the advocacy part of okay well if you know we never really focus on these learners or they a lot of them are invisible then how do we change a systematic structure for that um now uh that that's sort of my foundation right and so now um I've shifted completely to being a a full-time Uh, entrepreneur, uh, helping graduate students demystify the whole graduate school process and um, really uh, that really, you know, speaks to my trajectory from then to now in an overview way. So thank you.
0: I love how you just casually drop this phenomenal bio of all these things that you've done. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, Dr. Kasten, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about your background and how you got to your current position. Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks for having me, first off.
1: Um, So I am currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences, a mouthful, we just call it USIS, it's a government-backed institution. Um, I do not work for the government. I actually am a contractor through HJF, which is the Henry M. Jackson Foundation, or the advancement of military medicine, um, which um, is a nonprofit that was created by Congress in the early um, 80s. So um, I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, born and raised. um, And then that's kind of where I first evolved this love of science Um, as a high school student. We had um, a program called Base Pair where I could um, do scientific bench work and meet doctors, scientists, um, current grad students, um, have my own little mini project, participate in science fairs, and, you know, just totally nerd out. Um, So that was a that was the launching pad. And I continued doing research um, during my undergrad um, at Emory. And then after leaving Emory, I directly went to Vanderbilt, where um, I received a master's and my PhD in microbiology and immunology um, and where I studied helicobacter pylori, which is a pathogen that colonizes the stomach. Um, During my experience at Vanderbilt is when I first actually got to have some teaching experience as a PhD um, candidate, um, mostly with high schoolers and then also taught a lab with med students, So I had lots of options, and my mentor was like, "Oh, have you thought about uses?" I was like, "I have never heard of this place in my life," Um, and so did a little research. And uh, one of his colleagues worked there, and so I just looked on their websites. And I didn't end up going with his colleague's lab, but there was another fantastic scientist, Dr. Andrews, who studies gonorrhea and um, developing vaccines for gonorrhea and chlamydia. And so I reached out to her, had an interview, and. That's how I ended up here. Um, And last semester, um, I was able to teach um, graduate students um, um, about basically what I, about Helicobacter pylori because I, you know, now I'm considered an expert in Helicobacter pylori, so that was really fun and introducing them to bacterial toxins and how devastating they can be in themselves. So that's kind of how I ended up here.
0: So quick fun fact, thank you so much, Dr. Caston. Quick fun fact, Rhonda and I have been best friends since freshman year. Um, We lived together our sophomore year. And so I have gotten to like watch the evolution of her scholarship and her like step into her expertise, which is phenomenal. So I'm excited to hear Dr. Adams, you speak to how you help graduate students come into that as well um, as the conversation progresses. But I'd like to turn it over to Jenna now.
2: Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you both so much for your input. I, I'm just in awe of the amount of work that you've done and that you put in to developing not only your own career but the career of students as well. So that's amazing. Thank you.
0: Um,
2: I'm interested to know you're both in um, a little bit different positions mm-hmm. than our previous guests. So I'm very interested to know what the largest challenges have been for you in terms of your teaching and your education.
3: And I think um, to answer your question, the, the one of the biggest challenges that I um, have encountered is just this huge universe of, I'm in a PhD program, and I get to the point of having finished my coursework, and I am about to, you know, I'm finished with comprehensive exams, and I need to really finish my proposal, get it, a pr- get it through irb approved and start writing and then finish writing my dissertation and a lot of folks um especially in the social sciences i would argue and also in education if they're working which a lot of my clients do they're they're not they're not traditional students where they um you know can fully devote their time and effort and energy to their studies so they're juggling many different things many of them haven't um engaged in research projects and so the dissertation is really their first, you know, project that they've owned. And one of the challenges is really around making sure that they can navigate that and where do you go for information? And so helping folks navigate this kind of mysterious universe is a huge challenge, especially when sometimes, unfortunately, faculty don't provide the support that they they should or they can because they're overloaded um, so I'll pause there but uh, that that has been a, a definite big challenge in helping people navigate and really uh, get through these institutional complexes
1: yeah so as far as um, the teaching realm of things especially um, when I was teaching as a graduate student um, teaching high schoolers the biggest challenge is like you don't really know their backgrounds right you don't know their scientific knowledge what the baseline is and so going into it developing a lesson a lesson um for whatever topics we were doing was a little bit a a little bit tense because i'm like okay i want to keep these kids engaged because this could be the only time they experience like what a bench scientist does right um so i don't want to talk down to them number one but i also don't want to go so far over their head that they're zoned out and just disinterested yeah so I think teaching wise that was one of the biggest challenges and as far as just personal as a PhD um, student the biggest challenge of it was definitely my confidence um, and my mentor actually commented on it um, when I was getting ready to defend and he was just like I'm basically I'm proud of you like I can definitely see the difference in how you carry yourself and how confident you are when speaking about your work, because I went in, um, I mean, I feel like everyone, especially as women, we experience a little bit of imposter syndromes at times, and it was kind of like pushing through and realizing like, okay, I deserve to be here. I've worked my butt off, and I'm good at what I do.
2: I definitely relate to you. Um, I teach undergraduates um, in a global change biology course. Um, but most of my students are cell biologists or neurobiologists, so there it's it's like the exact opposite, um, where they are used to being bench scientists and learning, um, uh, learning a lot of different like cell components and things like that. Thank you so much for sharing because I think that's that if anything, like if our podcast can help. Teach our students anything over this whole season. I think making connections with your students is is one of the most important things to get across. So thank you, thank you so much. And along those lines, um, I was wondering what has been the most rewarding components of your teaching, um, and your job in general. And I I definitely think you've already hit the nail on the head with one, which is making connections with the students. But do you have any others as well?
3: Yeah, for me, I would say it's really when I can the connection is is paramount. But when I can walk away from that experience feeling like I have learned from them, that to me is where it all comes together. Like that's the greatest reward. I am so privileged to work with people um who are pursuing PhDs in fields I know nothing about. And then look, I get the gift of learning. I mean, for a nerd, and I know Dr. Cass is going to relate to this. It's just like, what? Like, is this real? Like, I get to do this and, for a living. Um, so, to me, that's the best part of teaching.
2: That makes that also makes me so happy. I completely agree. I think I definitely when I learn from the students and and teaching the the semesters that I get to teach are my best semesters. So some semesters I just research, which is fine, great. But the the ones that I get to teach, I feel like I excel more and I I perform better, which is really interesting. Um, Dr. Castan, any thoughts on um most rewarding components of your job? Yeah. Um.
1: Yeah. I just first one. Say. Yep. One hundred percent agree. Like. Yeah. Like you're like, oh wow, they figured this out. They they got this, and then you just like. It's just like, it's just good for your soul. Like you just can't help but smile and like be happy for them and with them. Um, So the most rewarding part, I think, um, again, I'm gonna do this like twofold high school versus the graduate level. But um, at the high school level, um, I think the most rewarding part is when you get those reviews back and they're like, oh, now I'm considering like a career in in the sciences in research. So like, if there's a kid who's good at science, they're like, oh, I'll be a doctor. I'll be a physician, an MD. And then, because mainly they're not exposed to what researchers do, which is fair. Um, I was the exact same way uh, going into it. I, I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally gonna be a doctor one day. Um, and then I realized, but because of my high school experience that my interest lied um, in, in research. And so hearing a student say, like, that they're now considering this path that I also think is, like, really important and critical to advancing us as a, as a society, it just makes me feel, like, really, really happy. Um, and for the graduate students, um, I feel it's really rewarding when you get them to think about their questions in a different way or maybe their experiment in a different way, like hey, I know this isn't working, but like, have you thought about doing X, Y, Z? Like this control might help or this different extra step might help you out. Um, Like, let's just reorganize it a little bit. And then it actually works. And they're just like, thank you so much. You saved me so much time, like repeating this experiment. And like, although it's not like directly in my work, like I, I cheer them on. I feel just as, I feel that same sense of like accomplishment as they do, so.
0: I love our discussion around just the personal senses of accomplishment and fulfillment, because those are the moments, I don't know about you all, but for me, where I realized in almost everything I do, I'm teaching and learning at the same time. It's not just within a a classroom setting. And I also love the connections across teaching. It doesn't matter the subject or the expertise. Um, Even thinking about my graduate students in theology of all subjects, like there's so much Fixation that they have in their lived experiences that when they come into learning space, they get to have a lot of things deconstructed and they realize they now have the tools to build things however they want to. They get to build their own frames of reference, uh, their own ethics and philosophies, and then they get to go out into the world and see how they try those components of their lives out with the rest of the world. And then they get to continue this learning because they have skills and not just a, a knowledge base now. And I love that th- that's a theme that I'm hearing across um, all four of us with the experiences that we've had as teachers and educators. Um, so Dr. Adams, to that point, uh, for both of you, that that's a almost like an embodied awareness that you have in all of the work that you do. But what is something that you wish you knew before entering your current profession as an educator and a policymaker and just like everything that you do like is that something you wish you knew beforehand that you had to learn
3: um when i was growing up i grew up in the projects and my mom never let me go outside and play with other kids and i was an only child until i was 13 so i didn't get and i never did a sleepover the only interaction i had with people uh was at school like young people my age and um for most you know most of my growing up and so you you know a lot of folks they get that kind of experience relationally with the world i had to read about it learn about it or learn it firsthand um in hard ways in professional settings and political climates where everybody's doing politics and i'm just like oh here i am as a full self-aware whatever version of myself at that moment i i am right and authentically but not everybody is behaving that way in, in in any context so you have to you must be aware of the dynamics of the context in which you're dealing and it doesn't matter um if it's in a, <laughs> a at a conference a professional conference or in a classroom or when you're dealing with your dissertation committee that i mean that is probably where a lot of folks will learn about these kind of Um, politics that aren't really stated. Oh, so-and-so doesn't like such-and-such because they didn't vote for them when they went up for tenure. And then you're paying for that, right? As a student of that professor. So I really wish I would have learned these uh, kind of laws that uh, and like how to navigate the people politics I'm learning as I go through life as an entrepreneur and I'm navigating these uh, different systems and collaborations with people but uh that is very very important and i really wish i <laughs> really wish i would have
1: uh been hip to that beforehand um so yeah those like conflicts are exist in academia but they also exist in the government so <laughs> um <laughs> just a lot of like you know red tape bureaucracy like I'm like I need this reagent to get the experiment done and it has to go through three different people like why do you need this what is this or like okay cool my boss says I can get it but then the the university has to approve it the nonprofit has to approve it just because of like if it's above a certain dollar amount so that was I'm like okay like in my old lab I could just get it <laughs> um, so sometimes that can be um, a source of stress and also in general, as far as like, as a scientist, um, there's a lot of failure. So, you know, going into my PhD, I had done some bench work in undergrad, but like you you didn't have, I didn't have full ownership of a project. And so going through the ups and downs of, okay, I got data, it was good. And then you go two months and you're like, okay, I have nothing. I'm, I'm slightly depressed. I'm slightly, I'm just sad. Um, why isn't this working? And um, so I, i'm sure anyone in the science sciences can relate in general but there's a, going into my phd i wish i would have understood more that these ebbs and flows happen and it's about perseverance um because after a while it does take its toll but also remembering that there are bright spots and for me teaching was one of those bright spots where i could take a break step away from the bench and interact with high schoolers who their biggest problem is, okay, I got to study for this calc exam, you know, like, and I'm sure that was, like, very big in their lives, and I'm sure they did great, but um, just thinking about it that way, like, okay, like, I can, I can breathe, get a fresh set of eyes, and go back to my, to finishing this PhD, so,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. So, I think With that, all of these nuggets, all of this wisdom that we're getting, and the science lesson on bacteria, didn't know I was getting that today, thank you, Um, we're going to transition into our rapid fire questions, and so, Dr. Adams, would you be willing to go first? Sure thing. Okay, so we got four questions for you. Think of it, quick answer, spit it out, and then I'll go to the next question. Mm -hmm. The first question, what does teaching mean to you?
3: Teaching is a co-collaborative process where the teacher is constantly learning from the learner. What does learning mean to you? Learning means absorbing everything like a sponge.
0: If you were to choose a different career tomorrow, what would it be?
3: I teach something something as it relates to uh coding <laughs> and um Designing systems for computers.
0: Wow, that's a new one. We haven't gotten that one yet. That's cool. Who is the biggest inspiration to your teaching?
3: Alain Jindian, my ninth grade English teacher and current friend of 24 years. Wow.
0: Thank you to your inspiration. Thank you uh, for how the your community has brought you to this point that you could share so much wisdom with us and our listeners. And we are so grateful for you. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. All right, Dr. Kassner, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) As ready as you'll ever be. All right. Um, What does teaching mean to you? Um, Teaching means to me giving someone the opportunity
1: to not necessarily just learn, but to just be exposed to new thoughts and new ideas and um, opportunities.
2: Yeah, love it. What does learning mean to you? Um, Learning
1: means it's a a never ending journey because I feel like every day I'm learning something different. Like, you know, dogs get rashes and you have to treat it X, (laughs) Y, Z. Like I learned that yesterday. So there we go.
2: (laughs) Yes. I've learned much from having a dog. (laughs) Um, If you were to choose a different career tomorrow, what would that be? That's really hard.
1: Okay, I think I, I have two because I, I'm also very indecisive as a person in my normal Perfect. life.
2: Perfect. Uh,
1: <laughs> I think event planner because I love a good like binder that's fully organized. I love like putting plans into motion. Um also an accountant because I love a good spreadsheet.
2: I don't think that, you know, I don't know anyone who's like dream career is an accountant, but you know what? I'm excited for you. I'm I am excited that you love spreadsheets that much. So I
1: married in eight months, and I may or may not have started our like spreadsheet for.
2: Oh no, I have one too. I'm getting married in two weeks, and I um everything is like listed spread like put in a data sheet. Like gotta, you have to, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, one more. Who is the biggest inspiration to your teaching? I want to say my dad, because he was pretty much my
1: first teacher. Like, so he retired, um, well, he was discharged from the army um, uh, for medical reasons. And so when I was little, I was at home with him all the time. So like hooked on phonics, my dad taught me emotional maturity. My dad taught me we would have these deep conversations because I was a very sensitive kid about like, it's okay to feel this way, but like we have to process our emotions and voice what speak about them and all that stuff still working on it I should have listened better
2: (laughs) no we're all working on it (laughs) thank you so much I appreciate your answers um do you both have anything that you'd like to plug so do you have any um twitter handles uh new papers that have come out anything like that that you think that our listeners uh would want to uh, check out? I'd say, uh, follow me, uh, on IG
3: and Twitter at Ed Linguist E-D-L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T. Um, I am really getting good with these posts on writing the struggles that we have as writers. I'm writing my first book. It's coming out in April and, um, every day I always, what gives me so much like encouragement is just, coming out with these little posts that have to do with how you can persevere and like what also lights us up as we're going through that process, which I know we can all relate to, whether it's writing proposals or writing the dissertation or writing a grant. <laughs> it's, the writing process is amazing. I'll just end there.
1: <laughs> um, I don't really have anything to plug. I'm still working on my research. I'm sure it'll be published in a year or so. But Dr. Adams, you definitely have a fan now and I will be following you. So it it was really a pleasure to listen to your story and learn about your experiences.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, we've learned about bacteria. We have learned about dog rashes. We've gotten great wisdom on teaching what it means to feel reward from our students, how it feels to be challenged by trying to navigate space with students to keep them engaged, but also that teaching still is a passion that we all share and want to take out into the world. So with that, we want to say again, thank you. You just heard the Beyond Academia
2: episode of Vitamin PhD with Dr. Rhonda Kasten, who is a postdoc fellow at the Henry M. Jackson Foundation for the Advancement of Military Medicine. And Dr. Lanisha Adams, who is an education consultant for her company, Edge Linguist Solutions, LLC. Thanks for listening.